Welcome to Healthy Wealthy You, where we'll continue to explore all aspects of functional medicine and good health. We'll help you find the tools to become the best version of yourself. Now, here is your host, Dr. Camille Vardy. Welcome back to Healthy Wealthy You. This is Dr. Camille. I have mentioned before that my favorite advice is black tea, caffeine. But is it a vice or is it a tool? There's a lot of debate about it among scientists, and they're probably doing it late at night after too much coffee. 90% of adults worldwide use caffeine, and it's one of the few psychoactive substances that are regularly given to children. About 85% of children in North America have caffeine on a regular basis, even very young ones. Now, psychoactive means mind-altering, by the way, affecting our awareness, our mood, thoughts, feelings, and behavior. And it may be affecting our minds in ways that we don't even realize. Globally, we drink two and a quarter billion cups of coffee every day and almost three billion cups of black and green tea daily. Wow. Finland drinks the most coffee per person, and they're often cited as the happiest country in the world. Is there a connection? I cannot say. There's too many variables. But eight of the 10 top coffee drinking nations in the world are Northern European Nordic countries. And collectively, they do consistently rate as the happiest. Coffee has been called our cup of optimism concentrated sunshine. It's a social ritual as well as a personal ritual. Meeting for coffee or tea is a huge part of our social landscape. The recorded use of a caffeine beverage was almost 4,800 years ago when Emperor Shen Nung in China was drinking hot water and the wind blew some leaves from a nearby plant into his cup. They started brewing into a flavorful tea, and that's where it all began. Coffee was used in Egypt by early Sufi mystics as part of rituals as it enhanced their perception. And I think many of us have our own rituals around our caffeine consumption even today. The food author, Michael Pollan, has written a very interesting book called How Coffee and Tea Helped Shape the Modern World. I found it fascinating. If you're interested in those kinds of broad sweeps of what influenced us historically, I really recommend it. For example, he contends that there was a huge shift in Europe when caffeine became widespread in the 1700s. Prior to that, because water was often contaminated with bacteria, people drank alcohol instead. Alcohol was even given to small children at that time. When coffee, and particularly tea, came into widespread use, people started boiling water to make their beverages, and that created a big improvement in public health overall. It also shifted people from being drunk most of the time to being alert and caffeinated. Holland thinks that this had a role in ushering in the Age of Enlightenment. And there were other social and economic implications. Caffeine allowed us to move out of our normal day and night rhythms, and that made it easier for people to stay awake and work at night. We can now have emergency workers who could keep us safe at night while we slept. And it allowed for round-the-clock factory work, which supported the Industrial Revolution. But I do want to focus on the health aspects today. So I'll let you read more of the history from him. Let's focus on what caffeine does for our bodies. And it is the great caffeine debate. There are lots of pros and cons. Is it good for us or not? One thing that's interesting about the science of caffeine is that it's actually hard to do a study on it. Since 90% of adults use it regularly, it's not that easy to get a control group of non-users for comparison. Some studies will have people go off caffeine for a couple of weeks, but 
how influential is caffeine withdrawal to what that group is experiencing. And also, if you use a group of people who never use caffeine at all, their reactions will be extremely different than people who use it daily. Michael Pollan, as part of research for his book, stopped having caffeine for three months and then went back on it. His first cup of coffee created an almost psychedelic experience for him. I would imagine that was what the Sufis were experiencing as well. Pollan describes our experience with caffeine as having a transparent effect on our consciousness. Since we use it every day, often first thing in the morning, many of us don't know what it feels like to be without it. We experience our caffeine consciousness as our normal baseline experience. We know well that caffeine makes us feel less sleepy and more alert. It actually improves reaction time, fact recall, mental concentration, and even physical performance. But like so many things, there are trade-offs. So how does caffeine work? Caffeine is chemically similar to a neurotransmitter bodies produce called adenosine. Adenosine is the chemical that makes us feel sleepy. When adenosine builds up during the day, we reach a point where it creates something called sleep pressure. When we feel enough of that sleep pressure, we feel that it's time to go to sleep. It's our sleep switch. Some of us have a stronger sleep switch than others. Mine is very strong and I absolutely cannot resist it. I have one dear friend that when she sees a certain look on my face, goes to the closet for a pillow and blanket without even asking because she knows I will not be driving home that night. Our adenosine is highest at bedtime and we break it down during sleep. And the better the quality of our sleep, the more we break it down. The more sleep we have, the more we break it down. When we wake up in the morning, our adenosine should be at its lowest point. If we've slept well, we should be alert and ready for our day. Of course, these days, that often isn't what happens. If we haven't slept well or we haven't slept enough, we wake up with a fair amount of adenosine in our system and we feel groggy and we're slow to wake up. Caffeine, being chemically similar to adenosine, fills up the adenosine receptor sites. So even though the adenosine is still there, it can't get to its target. We don't feel the sleep pressure, even if the adenosine levels are still in our systems. And that feels great. The thing is, the adenosine hasn't gone away. We just can't feel it as long as the caffeine is in our systems. And as the day goes along, we're making more adenosine and we're breaking down the caffeine. We have about half the amount of caffeine that we took in after six hours. And that cuts in half again after another six hours. So after 12, we have cleared about 75% of the caffeine that we drank. At some point in the day, there's a shift. The adenosine level is building and there's less caffeine to block it. So we get an afternoon lull and we'll usually want more caffeine. The problem with that is so if we had our coffee at 7 a.m., there's still a quarter of it left by 7 p.m. And if we had another cup at three in the afternoon, there's still a quarter of that left at 3 a.m. in the middle of the night. Now, many people will say that it doesn't bother them. They have no trouble sleeping, even right after a cup of coffee. My dad used to actually drink coffee to help him sleep. And there's no question that there's a lot of genetic variation here. But the issue is not the ability to fall asleep or how long you're able to sleep. It's actually the quality of sleep and what happens while you're sleeping. There's a very important sleep state called slow wave sleep or deep sleep. This is a time when the nerve cells in a certain part of the brain called the neocortex actually come to a complete state of stillness and inactivity. They get complete rest 
for about 70 to 90 minutes every night, or at least they should. This is such an important part of our brains. It's responsible for sensory perception, especially vision and hearing. It helps us to process language. It helps our brain tell us how to move or how not to move. It controls our spatial sense, that is, our ability to visualize and manipulate things in the physical world. For example, if someone says that something is two miles away, it's our ability from past experience to have a sense of how far that is. Or to remember how to get somewhere that we've been before. It would be very inconvenient if we had to figure out how to get to work every single day. If you couldn't carry your experiences from one day to the next and had to relearn everything every day, something as simple as how to get to work, it would be very challenging and frustrating to function in the world. Most importantly, the neocortex controls thought, how we move our daily experiences into long-term memory. It's where we store the general information and learning of everything that's happened to us in our lives, including information about what we should consider safe and what we should think of as being dangerous. So it's very important to our survival. Now, this deep sleep time is when the neurons rest and refresh themselves so that we can reorganize all this information. And it's not a big problem if we don't get deep sleep for a night here or there. We might feel, you know, a little fuzzy the next day, but it's not a big deal. But perhaps you're a step ahead of me on this. What happens if we habitually drink caffeine late in the day every day? What happens if we rarely get this deep sleep? If we cannot integrate how our brain tells our bodies to move over the long term, that can lead to movement disorders such as Parkinson's. We can also have impaired memory. It's definitively linked to a loss of this stage of sleep. And if we have problems with storing things in long-term memory or recalling things out of long-term memory, that points to dementia and Alzheimer's. The plaque buildup in the brain that is seen in Alzheimer's is associated with a disruption in slow-wave sleep. Slow-wave sleep is also the time that we produce the most growth hormone. This is a key hormone for cellular regeneration, and that, as we have talked about, is essential for longevity. What we recognize as the aging process is when cells start to break down faster than we can replenish them. So the better our ability to regenerate cells, the better we are able to slow down the aging process. Growth hormone helps us to rebuild the proteins of our body, to regenerate and repair cellular damage that occurred during the day. We repair our muscles, our organs, and our brains. We clear out free radicals and superoxides from our brain to reduce oxidative stress. And that way we curb the damage that the oxidative stress causes to the tissues. Growth hormone helps our immunity too, so we can ward off bacteria and viruses more easily. It helps our metabolic rate, so we can have an easier time maintaining a normal body weight when we have proper slow-wave sleep. And speaking of hormones, one other thing to note about caffeine is that it does seem to have an effect on our body's ability to use our estrogen and testosterone. So that's a consideration if you have any health issues related to that. Fertility, menopause and andropause, potency issues. But the good news is that those effects can be countered with exercise and sunlight. We live so much longer than our ancestors ever did. Protecting our brains, protecting our physical strength, and our regenerative capacity is so important. This time of slow-wave sleep is such an important part of why we sleep.
An important thing to note is that deep sleep occurs in the first few hours of sleep each night. So if you're having caffeine in the late afternoon or even the evening, you very likely are not going to have deep sleep that night. And then, of course, because we've missed this important time of complete rest, we feel groggy, so we hit the caffeine all over again as soon as we wake up. Now, here's another big reason that we're so drawn to our caffeine in the morning. We aren't just trying to shake off the grogginess. We aren't just trying to curb the feeling of sleepiness that the remaining adenosine causes. As the caffeine has now left our system, we start to feel withdrawal symptoms. And this is where we really see that caffeine is a drug. There's withdrawal just as there is from alcohol or any street drug. Caffeine withdrawal so profoundly affects our mood, our thoughts, and behavior that it's listed as a formal diagnosis for psychiatrists and other mental health professionals. But let's take a break here. When we come back, we'll talk about caffeine withdrawal and so much more about why so many of us do love our caffeine. This is Dr. Camille and Healthy Wealthy You. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Healthy Wealthy You will help you find the tools to become the best version of yourself. We'll explore all aspects of well-being, nutrition, lifestyle, fitness, mental health, relationships, family, work, finances. It's you living your best life. No matter what your current health or life obstacles, we want to help you cross that bridge to your new life. Our experience with food, nutrition, supplements, functional medicine, specific health issues, and every aspect of what it means to be truly healthy will provide something for every level of interest, bringing new twists on what you already know. We'll help you figure out why you haven't achieved your goals and learn strategies to help you create a personal approach that finally works for you. Resiliency is the human capacity to lean into individual and collective strengths with compassion and grit when faced with the challenges of lived experience. Join host Elaine miller Karras for Resiliency Within, a program of hope and healing designed to inspire you to integrate wellness into your life, your family, and your community. In challenging times, you'll want to tune in every week. Resiliency Within can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. Welcome back to Healthy Wealthy You. If you have questions for Dr. Camille or her guests, feel free to join us on the show at 866-472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. Now, back to the show with Dr. Camille. Welcome back to Healthy Wealthy You. This is Dr. Camille. And today we're taking on the great caffeine debate. Why we love it so much, what it does for us, and ultimately, we'll look at smart ways to use it. We mentioned that in the morning, we aren't just eager to have our caffeine to shake off the grogginess that adenosine is causing. We're also starting to experience withdrawal. What does that look like? Well, of course, we see fatigue when the caffeine wears off. The adenosine didn't go away. It just couldn't be used. So we didn't actually get more energy yesterday. We just borrowed it from today. In addition to fatigue, we'll see headache. This is particularly true for people who have a lot of caffeine at one time, very high doses. This headache is usually throbbing and the person feels sensitive to movement. It's what's known as a vascular headache. 
meaning that it's related to the blood vessels to the brain. Initially, when we have our caffeine, our blood vessels constrict, they narrow, but soon afterwards they dilate, they relax, which opens more blood flow to the brain. And that's the part that we like. We have increased alertness, we're getting more circulation to the brain, more oxygen and more nutrition. When the caffeine leaves our system, this relaxation effect goes away and our blood vessels constrict, they narrow again. And that's what causes the headache. In fact, many people with headaches, especially migraines, will use caffeine to get rid of their headache. Caffeine withdrawal also can cause difficulty concentrating. We start to have trouble filtering out peripheral information, very similar to the way that people with ADD and ADHD describe their thinking. Everything comes at them at once and they can't focus on what's important. Caffeine withdrawal can also cause depression and anxiety, even nausea, body aches, and flu-like symptoms, and there can be an increase in appetite. Our bodies are so sensitive to caffeine withdrawal that some people will experience symptoms even just by delaying the morning coffee, such as on a weekend when we sleep in and have our first caffeine of the day much later than we would on a weekday. About 96% of us experience at least two of the symptoms that I've mentioned. Almost immediately though, after we have some caffeine, these withdrawal symptoms go away. In fact, it can take as little as five minutes for that caffeine to hit our systems, not only starting to resolve the withdrawal symptoms, but also helping that alertness and good mood to kick in. The extent to which we experience these withdrawal symptoms is often dependent on how much caffeine we have in a day, and even more importantly, how much we have in one dosing. So what do I mean by that? If you have one cup of coffee when you wake up and another when you get to work an hour or two later, then the caffeine from the first cup is mostly still in your system. And so your body is feeling the effects of both cups cumulatively. You're much more likely to feel anxiety, a jittery feeling, and the rapid heartbeat and raise in blood pressure that we associate with too much caffeine. But high dosing also causes our body to swing more from one direction to the other. For example, the big dose of caffeine leads to a more powerful relaxation of the blood vessels, but that creates a rebound where we have a stronger constriction when caffeine is withdrawn. Whereas if we have one cup at 7 a.m. and another at 3 p.m., more than half of the caffeine from the morning cup has already processed through. We're much less likely to experience some of that pendulum swing from caffeine high to caffeine withdrawal. So when we talk about a lot of caffeine, what do we mean? Many people consume a lot more than they realize. Like any substance, the dosing is dependent on body weight. Bigger people tolerate more. A person who's 100 pounds can comfortably have about 45 to 140 milligrams of caffeine at one time. A person who's 200 pounds, double that, might be able to have 90 to 275 milligrams of caffeine. And of course, this can vary a lot based on genetics, based on the general health of your liver, of your adrenals and your nervous system, as well as the overall circumstances of your life, your stress levels, whether you consume other things that challenge your liver and your nervous system, your overall nutrition, that is whether your body has the nutrients needed to break down the caffeine properly. Remember the episode that I did recently on methylation and all the nutrients involved in methylation? Well, that is the process that we need to break down caffeine. And if we don't have those nice B vitamins and other nutrients in the form that our bodies can use, then our ability to process caffeine can be skewed. So the numbers that I just gave you are a range, a general guideline. 
Caffeine content of various foods and drinks can also be based on how strong we make that drink or how concentrated that food is. A dark chocolate bar, for example, will have much more caffeine than a milk chocolate bar. And different brewing methods for coffee can make a difference too. I highly recommend that you look up your specific drinks online, especially if you routinely buy a specific drink from a certain coffee company, or if you brew your coffee at home with regularly with a certain method. You know by experience your own tolerance. You don't want to have jitteriness or rapid heartbeat or that raise in blood pressure. Anytime that's happening, there are going to be negative impacts on your body. For example, um, if we have consistently rapid heartbeat, that puts a lot of strain on the heart. If we have consistent swings between the blood vessels constricting and relaxing and constricting and relaxing, that can actually set us up in the long term for strokes and weakening of the blood vessels, aneurysms. We don't want to put that kind of stress on our blood vessels. It's your own tolerance level. So be honest with yourself about what's good for you. And if we look back at those ranges I mentioned, 45 to 140 milligrams for a 100-pound person or 90 to 270 milligrams for a 200-pound person, let's look at what that means. In metric terms, it's between one and three milligrams per kilo of body weight. A typical 12-ounce latte is about 120 milligrams. If you're 100 pounds, that's enough, you're done. If you're 200 pounds, you can have a second cup. By comparison, an espresso shot is 75 milligrams. If you're 100 pounds, one shot puts you nicely in the middle range and two is pushing you to the upper edge. And I have seen people add four and five espresso shots to their coffee order. Ouch. Now equivalent to that espresso shot would be one cup of black tea or two cups of green tea or 16 ounces of a cola drink, or it might be one three and a half ounce dark chocolate bar or roughly five ounces of milk chocolate. It might be one cup of yerba mate tea, a tea from South America that contains caffeine. Now I mentioned that different brewing methods make a difference. One cup of French press is equivalent to that espresso shot, but drip or cold press is twice that. They call it nitro for a reason. Now here's where it gets a little scary. A Red Bull is almost 550 milligrams. That's equivalent to almost eight shots of espresso. That will almost certainly cause rebound effects, such as headache and irritability the next day. It also is very concerning in terms of the effects on the heart and the blood vessels. Most of us are familiar with the effects of too much caffeine at one time, the jittery feeling, the anxiety, the rapid heartbeat, and the intensity of something like a Red Bull, having that much caffeine in a short period of time from any source is important to consider. We mentioned that caffeine blocks adenosine and adenosine helps us do more than feel sleepy. It has an important function in regulating the electrical impulse to the heart. It also has a role in dilation and constriction of the blood vessels. It directly affects our heart rate. So downing that much caffeine in a very short period of time and having so much that it takes us a very long time to clear it out can have an impact on adenosine's ability to regulate the heart rhythm. Adenosine is actually used as a medication to treat heart arrhythmias. Having too high a concentration of caffeine can block enough of our body's natural adenosine that it can create the likelihood of arrhythmias occurring. Certainly anyone with that issue should look at reducing their dose of caffeine before it potentially becomes fatal. 
The issue with stability of heart rhythm can be compounded by the fact that caffeine is a diuretic. And as we lose fluid, we lose electrolytes, sodium and potassium, calcium and magnesium. And electrolytes are critical to maintaining the electrical impulses of our nerves. In fact, that's why they call them electrolytes. That's how we conduct electricity in our body. Now, caffeine, as I mentioned, also increases blood pressure. It does this in multiple ways. Just by increasing our heart rate, that's one way. We get more blood pumping through our system. It also stimulates our sympathetic nervous system, which is what controls fight or flight. Our body assumes that the blood needs to pump for whatever emergency is at hand. Third, caffeine acts on the adenosine receptors in the kidneys. It causes them to secrete a hormone that directly raises our blood pressure. For this reason, anyone who consumes a lot of caffeine and has issues with hypertension should consider both increasing hydration and being conscious of having enough electrolytes and other minerals, as well as simply watching the dose of caffeine and reducing it overall. Now, another issue to consider is the impact of caffeine on children. 85% of children have some form of caffeine regularly, usually from soda and chocolate. Now, remember that the effects are weight dependent. So what happens when kids have it? If a child is 50 pounds, they should only have about 20 or at most 70 milligrams of caffeine. That means between six ounces and 20 ounces of a cola drink in one sitting, or between one and three ounces of dark chocolate. Now, how often do you see kids eat way more than that? And because their nervous systems are still delicate and developing, probably that should be it for the whole day. So if you have a child who's hyperactive and has ADD or ADHD, we often talk about how sugar impacts that but the caffeine stimulation often goes unnoticed. And how often do we serve a cola drink and chocolate cake at a birthday party without thinking about the impact on kids, even kids that are smaller than 50 pounds? They may feel the rapid heartbeat and irritability without being able to understand or articulate what they're experiencing. Let's take a break here. When we come back, we'll take a look at the positive benefits of caffeine and why it feels so good. This is Dr. Camille and Healthy Wealthy You. We'll be right back. Want to see what Voice America is up to behind the scenes? on TikTok at Voice America Talk Radio. Healthy Wealthy You will help you find the tools to become the best version of yourself. We'll explore all aspects of well-being, nutrition, lifestyle, fitness, mental health, relationships, family, work, finances. It's you living your best life. No matter what your current health or life obstacles, we want to help you cross that bridge to your new life. Our experience with food, nutrition, supplements, functional medicine, specific health issues, and every aspect of what it means to be truly healthy will provide something for every level of interest, bringing new twists on what you already know. We'll help you figure out why you haven't achieved your goals and learn strategies to help you create a personal approach that finally works for you. Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins looks at how natural healing and biological dentistry can safely and effectively treat most health problems. You'll hear about the innovations in both traditional and alternative medicine therapies with doctors and dentists, along with discussions with chiropractors, medical experts, homeopaths, naturopaths, and energetic healers. It's great to have all the best information in one place. And Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins brings it all together. Listen Thursdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Little Birdie told me Voice America is on Twitter. Follow us at Voice America TRN. Welcome back to Healthy Wealthy You. If you have questions for Dr. Camille or her guests, feel free to join us on the show at 866-472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. Now, back to the show with Dr. Camille. This is Dr. Camille and Healthy Wealthy You. Today we're talking about caffeine and why we love it so. We've looked at some of the concerns with caffeine but what about the other side of the great caffeine debate? I adore my caffeine, so I will tell you there are plenty of upsides. So let's talk about that and also how we can gain the most benefit without having too many of the negative effects. First is the obvious alertness. We think more clearly. We all know that well. We can see an increase in our ability to think clearly within five minutes, and it peaks in about 30 minutes and lasts usually altogether about 60. Of course, there are a lot of variables that can influence that. Caffeine helps us access information faster. Caffeine helps us utilize a neurotransmitter called acetylcholine, and that is the neurotransmitter that helps us with recall. We're more mentally agile, and it helps us to filter out peripheral information so that we can multitask more easily. Caffeine helps our memory, at least initially. If we lose too much slow-wave sleep, however, that won't be true for the long term. Now, caffeine has a particularly interesting effect when it comes to memory. Used in moderation, it not only helps us memorize things more easily if we have some caffeine while we're studying, but it can also have a retroactive effect. Having caffeine after we've studied helps us to lock in memory and our brains will lock in memories of recent events when something has scared us. It's actually another of our body's survival mechanisms. If we've been frightened by some danger, like a lion that has come after us, we lock in that memory very powerfully so that if we're ever in that place again, we remember where the lions are and what it was we did to keep ourselves safe. And this mechanism is why memories of dangerous events can be such powerful memories even decades later. It's that locking in. And that's one of the major mechanisms of PTSD. Caffeine has a similar effect. So as an aside, for some people, high levels of caffeine can even reinforce PTSD. That locking in can be both a positive and a negative. Now, caffeine helps us access the parts of our brains that we use for memory and learning. And it can also lower the threshold of activation of those particular nerve cells. That means that we need less electricity, less chemical neurotransmitter to get those nerve cells to do their work. On the physical side, caffeine improves both our mental and physical reaction time. It can help us to borrow energy when we need that. And it helps us with physical endurance. Caffeine is a tremendous mood enhancer, and it's been shown in many, many studies to improve depression. One of the reasons that it's so helpful for mood, and specifically for depression, is that it works on our dopamine pathway, and it does this in multiple ways. Caffeine is a huge support for our dopamine system, the feel-good antidepressant neurotransmitter. When we talk about reward mechanisms, a nice hit of dopamine is the reward, and caffeine can cause kind of a dopamine euphoria. Many addictive behaviors are due to dopamine deficiency, and many of the things that we tend to use addictively, such as sugar, nicotine, street drugs, gambling, sex, and caffeine, act on our dopamine pathways. Caffeine helps our dopamine receptors to be more sensitive, and it actually increases 
the number of dopamine receptors. And that's a pretty unusual thing. This leads to an interesting synergistic effect. Not only do we get the effects of the caffeine itself, but because we've shifted the threshold and we have more receptors, everything else becomes more pleasurable. Coffee and exercise together, coffee and cake, coffee and cake with our really good friends who make us happy. The effects become synergistic. Another benefit of caffeine is that it helps us to have higher levels of a chemical called cyclic AMP, abbreviated CAMP. CAMP delivers messages between cells. It helps us to regulate blood sugar. It helps with metabolism of fats, and it helps with our use of adrenaline by moving hormones across membranes that they normally can't move through. This is one of those areas, though, in which we need to be careful with having the right amount of caffeine, but not too much. While these messages are essential to the body, if they're overstimulated, they can become dysregulated, and there are some serious consequences. We can have blood sugar dysregulation. We can have overstimulation of our nervous system, particularly the prefrontal cortex, where our memory, our planning, and our thinking processes occur. And a dysregulation of camp signaling, a confusion of those chemical messages can even lead to cancer. So how can we best use caffeine as a tool? How can we get the positive benefits without the negative ones? One way is to be aware of the dose and not exceed reasonable limits. This helps us in the short term, avoiding the jitters and the racing heart, the high blood pressure, the anxiety. And it helps curb the intensity of withdrawal symptoms in the morning. Remember, the lows match the highs. It lessens the chance that we'll miss out on that important slow-wave sleep and all the crucial regenerative benefits that come from that. Also, it makes it less likely that we'll have long-term damage to our hearts and our brains that can come from chronic overuse. Toward that end, we can also work on the timing of our caffeine use. And this is where we really get a sense of it as a drug. We can have some of our caffeine now and some of it a little later so that it doesn't hit our systems all at once. That helps a lot to help the short-term effects. We can also have our caffeine with food, and that helps us to metabolize it more slowly. We're less likely to feel as jittery, and it's also yummy. We can make sure that we have enough electrolytes so it doesn't affect our heart and nervous system as strongly. We can have plenty of the methylation nutrients to help us metabolize it well. Also, consider having tea instead of coffee. Tea naturally has a substance called theanine. Theanine is an amino acid that helps to block glutamate, which is a stimulatory neurotransmitter. That it contributes to the excitation, to the rapid heartbeat and the high blood pressure. Instead, theanine will help shift us into making GABA, which is a more calming neurotransmitter. It's actually our anti-anxiety neurotransmitter. So when you get both the caffeine and the theanine together, we don't feel the dose quite as much. It's very helpful for a lot of people in minimizing that jittery feeling. But if you really like your coffee, by the way, theanine is available in a supplement form. And if you're ever feeling jittery, if you've overdone it for some reason, you can take some theanine to help curb that sensation. We can also look at dosing to make sure that we don't impact our deep sleep and cause us to lose those critical regenerative functions. We talked about the interaction of adenosine and caffeine. There is a point in the day in which our caffeine starts to move its way through. We're at a half level six hours after consuming it, as we said. 
That means that the 7 a.m. caffeine is about half of what it was at one in the afternoon, just about the time we also might be getting a little sleepy from digesting lunch. The temptation is to have an afternoon coffee, but that will be in our systems well into the night and is very likely to affect our slow wave sleep. So one strategy, if you must have more caffeine later, is not to wait until you feel the fatigue, but instead to have a late morning reinforcement, one that has time to clear by evening. Another way, of course, is to substitute other options in the afternoon to carry you through, such as exercise. Another strategy is to work off some of the adenosine buildup. Not a lot of us in the world have the privilege of a quick afternoon nap, but it would certainly do the trick. Many cultures traditionally allow time for a siesta, or in China, shui shi and it's a very healthy thing. It processes some of the adenosine, it flushes our brains of toxins, it helps brain integration, and it calms the cortisol and the sympathetic nervous system. And if we can't sleep, then a meditation or mindfulness practice, perhaps some yoga and breathing can be very helpful. We can also help avoid that afternoon crash by how we time our caffeine in the morning. If the afternoon crash is caused by adenosine flooding into our brain when the caffeine has worn off, then making sure that we clear as much adenosine as possible in the morning before we start our caffeine will mean that there's less buildup in the afternoon. When we wake up, we still do have some adenosine. If we haven't slept well or we haven't slept enough, there can be quite a bit. If you feel groggy when you wake up, that's a big reason. So clearing out some extra adenosine as we start our day can be helpful. Cortisol can help clear out adenosine. And if our levels are healthy, our cortisol is highest in the morning. Our burst of cortisol when our eyes detect light is actually what wakes us up in the morning. You've heard me talk about the concerns of cortisol, but that's when there's too much, when we have stress, or when it's late in the day, when we can't let go of our stress. But cortisol itself has healthy, positive effects. It gives us energy and gets us out of bed. It helps our immunity and our metabolism, and it helps to clear out remaining adenosine. The issue is that when we have caffeine, the effects of caffeine hit us in as little as five minutes, and that means that cortisol cannot continue to process adenosine. So one important strategy is simply to delay when we have our caffeine. By doing that, we give the cortisol a chance to work. Some studies say that it's helpful to delay caffeine intake by as much as two hours after waking. Now, I know that two hours might sound horrifying to some of us, but it is something that we can do gradually, and we can use certain tools to help it along, make that process faster. And by doing some of those other things, it does help delay the time that we sit down and we have our cup of caffeine. So here are things that we can do in the morning to help boost cortisol. I mentioned that cortisol is made when our eyes sense sunlight. We can boost our cortisol by as much as 50% by getting out and enjoying some sunlight in the morning. We can also boost our cortisol and process adenosine with morning exercise. Exercise is going to bring more oxygen to our brains and to every cell of our bodies. It boosts dopamine, so we have a head start there too. So getting out and having a walk in the sunshine in the morning, then having your morning coffee afterwards can make a big difference to conquering that afternoon crash. And if that seems out of the question for you, just know that every little bit helps. Take small steps. Have your coffee after your shower instead of before. Have half-calf and then have some more later. 
or reduce the amount that you have in the afternoon if you can't do without it completely. Know that over time, as you sleep better, it'll be easier to face the morning. And everything you do will make it easier and easier. So if you've been listening to this and you've decided you want to go off caffeine completely, what can you do? Well, one thing is to recognize that it is a drug and it needs to be handled accordingly. We may want to consider tapering. We might want to consider choosing a time when we can handle a certain amount of impact to our mental clarity, such as quitting on a long weekend or even on a vacation when we can sleep more. We also may need to warn our family and friends that we may just be a little bit grumpy and ask their forgiveness in advance. We need to be aware of the possible withdrawal symptoms as we're going along so they don't come as a surprise. Most of the symptoms will pass in a few days, but some people may experience headaches for as much as three weeks once they stop consuming it. Lots of water can be helpful, electrolytes, and the methylation nutrients, including methylated B vitamins, extra B1, lots of the good fats for our brain and nervous system, such as olive oil, seeds, nuts, and avocados, and include extra magnesium if it's indicated. Some people will use the strategy of being off caffeine for most of the time, then using a small amount as needed, such as during a big presentation at work, or maybe, or maybe for a race, as I mentioned earlier. Just remember to test your tolerance in advance. After being off of it for a while, the effects will be much stronger than it would be if you used it all the time. Well, I hope that this has given you some insights into this powerful tool, this powerful drug that is caffeine. Mental clarity is an enormous benefit, but so is the magic of truly regenerative sleep. I hope that you'll be able to use this tool wisely and thoughtfully. This has been Dr. Camille and Healthy Wealthy You. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Healthy Wealthy You. Have a question but weren't able to get on the show today? Join us next week and call in. Until then, hold that inspiration.